Welcome to Expert Opinion, the branding business forum where leaders share their views, insights, and experiences from the world of B2B branding. And now, here's your host. Hello, welcome to Expert Opinion. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show is focused on how global corporate boards look at brand strategy. Today's guest is Fred Thiel, a global experience CEO of private and public companies, private equity principal, strategic advisor, and board member. Having built and sold a number of businesses, Fred is a senior advisor to prominent private equity firms in the U.S. and Europe with primary experience in technology, IoT, and digital transformation. Fred's currently chairman of the board of five companies and also on the advisory board for six other companies. Fred started his career in marketing, and together with his global experience running and advising companies, I definitely place Fred as an expert in the space where business and brand strategy converge. So if you'd like to learn best practices from the corporate board perspective, you might want to listen to Fred's insights. Fred, welcome to Expert Opinion. Thank you, Ryan. Glad to be here. Well, um, let's begin with a topic that you and I kind of spoke about before. Uh, I know we share a similar point of view on this, and that a brand permeates the entire company. It's not just a marketing um, tactic. It's uh, a corporate board um, and CEO-led initiative. Uh, so it's not just a uh, external promise distinction in our perception um, used to just drive sales through relevance and differenti- differentiation, but also as a means to unite an organization under a common purpose and culture, giving people direction so they can perform at the highest level. So maybe you can kind of build upon that in the sense of what you're seeing in the area of current trends from a global board perspective. What are the trends or topics that are on the corporate board agenda as it relates to branding? Sure. I, I think you know, brand is very important both, as you said, externally and internally. Um, and boards look at branding from a variety of perspectives. Uh, you know, on the one hand, um, if you think about what a board's real responsibility is, it's the fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders, and more so today, uh, you know, obviously there's a social responsibility uh, to society, to the environment, to the employees, uh, the customers, uh, vendors, et cetera, all the key stakeholders. And so boards look at brands as a key value driver. Um, and this is really important for the private equity um, side of the world because, uh, you know, they clearly view brand as a multiplier on um, enterprise value. So if you think about brand being so important for value, anything that enhances the brand adds value. Anything that detracts from the brand decreases value. Even though the business might be operating, uh, you know, at the same level, if news comes out about the company not operating congruently with their brand, that value is going to be taken away from the company in the stock markets or in the valuation markets or even in, from consumers uh, and even internally. Uh, you know, if employees see the management team deviating from the mission, vision, values that are all wrapped up and support the brand, then that incongruency is going to drive people to want to leave, not be supportive. Uh, and this is especially uh, important when it comes to the millennial workforce who are very much focused on aligning their time and energy with brands and companies 
whose missions, values, uh, and purpose are aligned with theirs. And any time they sort of deviate from the promise of the brand, uh, mission, value, and purpose, um, the employee becomes uh, less motivated, less satisfied. And, um, you know, this can be on one extreme, the equivalent of a whistleblower, possibly, um, you know, ratting out bad behavior, uh, which is typical in situations where you see, you know, corporate management behaving in ways that aren't necessarily supportive uh, and in aligned uh, alignment with the brand value. Um, and, you know, whether it's the Theranos case, uh, which is, you know, this, this great HBO documentary about that story where it was employees who realized they were being lied to and that the company was lying to the marketplace that caused them to, you know, report to the authorities that, hey, you know, the management's lying here. They don't really do what they say they're doing. Um, or whether it's, uh, you know, customers of companies uh, like Uber when they didn't like necessarily the behavior that was being reported um, about uh, what you know senior management was doing and uh, you know uh, companies in general uh, but you know brands are also tied up in people the technology industry as you know is one of these industries where the the founder entrepreneur's brand is you know totally tied into the corporate brand Steve Jobs and Apple uh, Michael Weinstein as a film production uh, producer, uh, you know, he was totally tied to the brand uh, of his production company. As a matter of fact, I think he was more important than the company's name, even though it was, you know, Weinstein was the name of the company. But this is, you know, very typical. And, you know, the we see this uh, in, in Japan, for example, with n- this Nissan Renault thing with uh, the CEO, the French CEO Goshen and uh, his uh, reported uh, again, he hasn't been found guilty of anything yet, but you know he's been accused of uh, bad behavior and put in jail. And you, know, you look at any of these companies that do things that are incongruent. Uh, you know, there's that famous case with the um, battery manufacturer and the uh, accident in India, where you know lots of people were injured because of the chemicals that were used in this manufacturing process, and you know that dragged on the company's value for years afterwards. Uh, so I, I think it, it's critical that, you know, everything that a company does and that the employees do um, is supportive of and congruent with the brand promise. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, for boards, this is, uh, you know, very important um, that, you know, the uh, CEO is managing the company in that way and that, um, you know, the in the promise that's been made to the investors about you know what the company stands for and its brand and its mission, value, and purpose uh, are all fully in alignment. And the board's responsibility is to make sure that the CEO is running the company with that in mind constantly. So it's very important. Okay, cool. Well, kind of let's stay on the topic of these um, these gu- we we call them guiding statements. And as you know, we're real passionate around this topic of. Uh, the purpose, why we exist, the vision, what we aim to achieve, the mission, how we're going to achieve it, values, what we stand for, and how we behave. So um, after we've gone through the brand development process, looking at the external value proposition, we often help organizations redefine those guiding statements. And typically, they're mostly associated to internal statements, uh, the ability to direct, unite, align, inspire, um, internal teams, but it also, if done well, it gives uh, clarity of direction to investors as well as a leadership team. 
Um, in fact, we even recommend that uh, leadership meetings, board meetings, begin by looking at these guidance statements and saying if we're not achieving, if we're not talking about things that are going to impact these, these statements of our vision and purpose, why are they on the agenda? you have any thoughts around that? And are, what are, you, are you seeing that actually utilized at the board level? Well, I, I think the, I don't see at the board level um, the value statements uh, being read aloud, if you would, as a reminder to the board. Uh, what I do see, however, is, you know, uh, corporate activities are always um, looked at through the lens of these value statements, mission, value, purpose, um, because, you know, it, is it in alignment? Should we be doing this? You know, we shouldn't be doing things that aren't fully in alignment um, or supportive of what we're trying to achieve because that's a waste of corporate resource and could potentially damage the brand and the company. So uh, I do see that lens being applied very often. I think the, uh, you know, one of the key challenges uh, is as Companies evolve, and you know this is where you know I know you guys do a lot of work. Is that as companies and brands evolve, marketplaces evolve. You know the company has to evolve with it, and uh, not that there are you know many companies that necessarily are a hundred years old and still large and viable. Uh, there are not many companies that make it that long, but those that do, and even those that are around for fifty years or even twenty years, you know, depending on the marketplace, you know, ten years can be. A life, a full life cycle. You know, um, if you look at you know companies like Uber and companies like these, you know, ten years ago, where were they? They weren't. So over time, brands definitely need to evolve as the marketplace evolves, evolves, and as the consumer evolves. Uh, you know, before, in a world where media was you know four TV channels, a handful of newspapers, and some weekly or monthly magazines, um, it was easy to get into the you know, get in front of a consumer, um, create a brand promise, if you would, create uh, awareness, and then, you know, the product um, had to deliver on that. And I think, you know, it was uh, one of the Procter & Gamble, uh, you know, heads of marketing at one point said, you know, advertising and marketing's role is to sell the product the first time. After that, it's up to the product to do the rest of the work. And I think, you know, today there are infinite media outlets. There are infinite ways of, for people to interact with brands. Um, you know, people interact with their peers and rely more on their peers' opinions of brands than they do on, you know, professional reviewers, if you would. Uh, you know, just look at the film industry. People focus more on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and uh, sort of groupthink crit- criticism and reviews than they do, you know, what the uh, major media outlet film critics say. So it's, the world has changed, and the ability for a brand to get a black mark has gone up dramatically today, uh, where before um, a company, what a company did internally didn't necessarily get exposed externally. Today, there's a lot more transparency because uh, of social media and what people can post. A single consumer's brand experience and what they post about it on social media today uh, now requires brands to respond, uh, reach out to the consumer, try and satisfy them. Because as you all well know, you know, one damaging statement uh, is very expensive to repair. And, uh, you know, all the effort that it takes to build a brand can be destroyed with just some a few damaging events or statements. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's critical today. Um, you know, management, the board, uh, and employees in general are continually looking at, you know, how they're 
how and what they're doing um, juxtaposed against these stated um, value attributes and statements. The, the other thing I think that's important in that is also the fact that a well-crafted set of values, a well-crafted mission statement, and a well-crafted vision statement, in theory, should reduce the amount of management required to run a company. Because mm-hmm. if you craft those properly, people will always know what they should do because they should know what is right. And if you hire the you know right people and you train them properly, then you know any decision they have to make, they should be able to juxtapose against you know those key attributes and know you know is this in alignment with our strategy? Is it in alignment with our vision and mission? Is it in alignment with our values? Then you know let's go ahead and do it. And in a world where we measure everything to the nth degree you know, KPIs, OKRs, whatever you want to call them, uh, balance scorecards, et cetera. Um, you know, it's easier today to, in theory, to live in alignment with a brand because there are ways to really measure that people are doing that and that the activities the company is doing uh, are fully supportive of that. So, uh, you know, and you can look at, you know, uh, you know, net promoter scores is, you know, one of those metrics, for example, uh, but there are lots more related to social media and how you know brands' social presence and and you know how the marketplace is treating the brand socially. So you know I think it's uh, it's very important for brands to do it. Um, I think investors are very focused on it. Uh, you know, uh, money goes towards brands that have uh, a great brand promise and that have a great reputation, and money runs from brands that don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Or the minute a change happens, especially. Um, and, uh, you know, that has huge implications, um, you know, shareholder value, obviously, for public companies. Um, but, you know, brands also have lasting value. Um, you know, an example is Sears. You know, here's a company with a brand that's, you know, 100-year-old brand um, that is irrelevant in the retail world today when people think about a store they go to shop in. But the brand still holds value, and there are people still willing to pay for that brand, even though, uh, as a shopping venue or shopping destination, it's not really relevant um, anymore. And so, you know, a well-built brand uh, has huge value, uh, even though the underlying enterprise might not. Well said. I couldn't agree more with you in terms of um, the power of uh, using brand as well as these guiding statements to, um, once again, align, energize, uh, empower people to deliver upon the brand promise. Marketing can make a great promise, but it's still the people that have to deliver it. So uh, yep. completely agree with that. And also agree with your thought around the uh, the need to keep a brand uh, current. And you have to uh, approach and, and revisit a brand and its value proposition at uh, times of change. And uh, kind of transitioning to the topic of private equity and how private equity looks at brands, um, you know, it's pretty clear that the organization, a private equity firm, wants to um, acquire an asset or multiple assets, um, build it, grow it, um, and increase its value uh, over a certain amount of time, and usually a fairly short-term window. You know, it could be four, it could be seven years or more, but relatively short. But so the question sometimes we're asked to, is what, when is the right time um, for an organization? Let's just keep it to private equity to. Uh, invest in branding and develop a brand that uh, can clarify its unique value proposition. And just to clarify, you know, private equity as an owner of a company, uh, as opposed to the private equity firm's brand itself. True. Um, Yeah. 
Glad you clarified so when, that. When, you know, so uh, brand is a, is a value driver. And you know, private equity is all about driving value, uh, incre- you know, incremental value creation. And historically, private equity firms would go buy a good company, and then they would um, go in and look at the operations and rationalize operations so they could increase the flow through of dollars to the bottom line. And that's how they generated value. Uh, then, you know, after a number of companies had gone through this, what's called professionalization, the it all of a sudden became important to grow the revenues of the company, not just fix the bottom line, because most of that playbook had already been executed by either a prior owner. And, you know, the majority of private equity uh, acquired companies today have been owned by a prior private equity owner uh, somewhere in their trajectory. So they've had the opportunity to be professionalized. So all of a sudden, you know, private equity says, what what types of things are going to grow the top line and bottom line? And what types of things act as a multiplier or a force multiplier on that valuation? So as an example, private equity firm maybe pays 10 times um, EBITDA or 10 times free cash flow for a company. Say a company has 10 million of EBITDA, so they pay 10 times. It means they paid $100 million to acquire this company. And over the course of the hold period, like you said, kind of three to seven years, uh, they want to grow the value of the company. And so they have two choices. They can grow top and bottom line. Uh, so instead of it being generating 10 million of EBITDA, they could grow it to 20 million over five years, and the company would have to grow 200 million if the multiple is still the same. But they can also increase the multiple by creating more brand value. And if you can increase the value of the brand, then that multiple might go from 10 to 11 to 12. Uh, and so the top companies in their industry segments that have really strong brands can command significantly higher multiples than their peers. And if you can take a company that uh, you take from 10 million of EBITDA to 20 million of EBITDA, and at the same time increase the brand value, not only have you doubled the profitability, which doubles the value based on the same multiple of 10, but if you can grow that multiple to 12 or 13, now all of a sudden you go from 200 million of value to 260 million of value potentially. So uh, that, the value of that multiplier is huge. And so for private equity firms, it's, it's very important to do it. And, you know, the next kind of question is, when do you start doing this? Well, <laughs> right. building brand value is, takes a long time, so as soon as you can. On, along those thoughts, um, one of the areas uh, that we get involved with and a firm belief of ours is the, the need for voice of customer research to understand how the company is perceived or companies are perceived in order for them to be even more relevant and differentiated from the competition. And um, it seems that most of our clients uh, really appreciate the ability of that insight uh, as a uh, key data set to give them confidence to move the, the business forward. Um, and once again, aligning business and brand strategies together. So we believe in it. Seems like our clients do as well. From a um, once again, the confidence of being able to grow and invest in an organization. But from board perspective, how do, how do you guys look at this um, this data set, uh, specifically the area of uh, voice of customer research? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it, great question, great topic um, because this touches on. Um, 
the concept of, you know, is the company focused on incremental or evolutionary value growth, or is it focused on transformational? Um, and the distinction is very important because voice of the customer is really good as a rearview mirror to understand, um, you know, the company's current and former state in the eyes of its customers. You know, what do you like about the brand and the company? What don't you like about it? What do you wish they could do differently? Those types of things. Um, and that's all based on the customer's perception of the company and brand through the filter that they have of the sum of their experiences um, with the brand that are either first-hand experience or second-hand experience of things they've read about or things that their friends um, have reported about the brand. What becomes more challenging is when you're trying to leverage voice of the customer to understand and gut check, if you would, a future strategy. Um, so, you know, you can, I think it's very important to understand what characteristics, what aspects of, uh, are important to a customer. So how important to you is it that uh, a brand that you work with is socially responsible? Um, you know, what about equality of the sex? You know, think questions like that are great for understanding the consumers, the types of brands and what a brand needs to do to have alignment with a consumer's general perspective. Um, however, I think when you start touching on products and services, it starts getting a little bit more uh, difficult because, you know, as Steve Jobs famously said, uh, you know, the, our customers don't know what they want because what we plan to launch, they've never seen before, so they don't have a context for it. I'm paraphrasing very mm -hmm. liberally here. Um, but basically, until a customer has a context for something, whether that's uh, a new brand you're developing or a new product that an existing brand is developing, you know, they don't have a point of reference. So if you ask somebody, would you like a self-driving car if you had one, uh, the customer might say yes, just imagining what it would be like to get in the back of a car that could drive them wherever they want, until such time as they're actually in the car going down the highway and they realize there's nobody behind the wheel and then they might get scared and so it might take them some time to get used to that but without having had that experience most customers don't think through these types of questions well enough they just answer kind of top of their mind which on the one hand is good because you're getting unfiltered output from the customer but on the other hand Without any context, the, the question then becomes, is it, is it a relevant answer to the objective of the question? So, um, you know, I think it's really relevant if you're trying to understand, you know, current or former state and what somebody thinks about a company today based on the sum of their experiences. I think uh, from the future, it's relevant if you're just trying to identify what are key attributes that we will need to align ourselves with to be in alignment with our customers. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, you know, well, a customer knows well what's important. To, exactly. Um, but it's the yeah. product stuff, which is difficult. Yeah, I, I might, to just um, add a little point of view on that, um, we believe the brand has to be built from within. And uh, utilizing the expertise and uh, the potential that exists within an organization to develop a value, de develop new value. So yes, we we um, the voice of customer. We we understand how the brand's perceived. So we understand how big the gap is between where we're at and where we want to go. 
Um, we have been successful in developing research that also then tests value propositions and tests uh, new opportunities um, and uh, utilizing um, metaphors and um, positioning statements and um, you know uh, big ideas in order to understand how um, the audience might perceive a uh, an evolution of a brand, but that rarely gives us the exact answer. But at least we understand the existing perceptions and the uh, the ability for uh, customers to um, to relate to the new offering. So, yeah, I, very interesting point of view around uh, use, using research in order to guide uh, future decisions. How important, as it relates then. Once you have the the value proposition, how how important is the storytelling? Uh, that's a big term that everybody's using now in terms of how brands are experiencing, you know, and and how to get the word out there, whether it's social media or you know online or uh, branded content or you know video. Obviously, is a big component. But um, um, what's your thoughts around uh, storytelling? So, storytelling. Um is a way for us to pack a ton of information plus emotion into a um, capsule that somebody can ingest um, and carry with them. Um, If you just state facts or if you just tell somebody about a brand without rolling it into a story, you never touch the side of the brain that is driven by emotion. And the side of the brain that's driven by emotion is the one that drives virtually all of our decisions. Um, you know, I, I, we've had this discussion with um, people in the technology industry uh, hundreds of times. And, you know, do, we make, do people make rational decisions or do they make emotional decisions? And what is the last thing people use when they make a decision? And, you know, you get a handful of people say emotional, handful of people say rational. Um, but, you know, science has proven that it's always an emotional decision at the end. If you have two equally good products, um, your choice of product A or product B is an emotional one. If you have differentiated products, you know, you may choose the inferior product from a spec perspective <laughs> because of emotional issues. Um, then, uh, you know, the product that might have better specs but doesn't trigger your emotions in the same way. So storytelling is critical. And, um, you know, the, as you said, there's been a lot of talk about storytelling. And, you know, every brand, every product, every business has to have its hero's journey. You know, it has to go through this. Um, and, you know, you talk to an entrepreneur when they're pitching to venture capitalists or the stock market, you know, investors, whoever, even customers and vendors, you know, they tell their hero's journey, which is we, uh, you know, look at Uber, for example, you know, uh, the, you know, what's the story behind Uber? Well, you know, founder is standing on a Paris street at Christmas one year trying to get a cab and is very frustrated and is staring at their iPhone and said, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if I could just push a button and a, I could order up a car. I'd know where it was. I'd know when it would show up. And uh, I wouldn't have to have a credit card. Billing would be automatic. And lo and behold, you know, they started experimenting, came up with Uber Cab, which was the first app, uh, which then became Uber. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, you have this company worth billions of dollars today. Um, and it's a compelling story. And, you know, it draws you in. So storytelling is critical. 
and it's words, it's emotion, it's images, it's video, and uh, but it's kind of a promise, right? It's like when you're dating uh, and you meet somebody for the first time, you know, they have a visual impression of you that they sort of form a, per- a perception of you from, and then words come out of your mouth and you kind of tell your story, and that story is either going to attract them or it's going to, you know, <laughs> repulse them uh, on the opposite extreme. And so, but that's an emotional, you know, uh, people want to engage with people who are vulnerable. They want to engage with brands that are, you know, vulnerable and transparent and uh, that they think, you know, uh, are doing the right thing. A certain number of people love to interact with brands that are underdogs. And there's a whole unique storytelling methodology if you're an underdog brand or a challenger brand. You know, other people who like more certainty in their lives like to lead, uh, deal with leaders. And they want a brand that has a strong leadership sort of promise and perspective about their position in the marketplace and their products and they're reliable. You know, it, it, it's uh, brands have these uh, attributes that elicit emotions. And, you know, the place where you find this most typically is in luxury brands, you know. A Rolex watch, for example, versus a Swatch. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. There's a, a, a Patek Philippe. This is the watch for generations. Uh, you know, so there. You know, brand value is critical, and how you tell the story uh, is so critical. You know, BMW, and you know, this is the uh, the car for people who like to drive. Uh, you know, things like that. So I, I think it, it's the emotion and the storytelling is critical, and as you know. Um, trying to uh, create a new brand or modify and sort of renew a company's brand, it really comes all the way down to a well-executed story. If you can't execute that story well, all the work you did beforehand uh, is for naught. Very well said. Clearly, you you understand the world of branding and uh, the value a brand can provide. So... Um, Still, we find that some people are, get mixed up and just think the brand is a logo. Um, obviously, it it's everything that the company stands for, and and the uh, the experiences that are critical. Um, there are literally hundreds of touch points for an, a brand to be experienced, and and everyone needs to be managed. So, sometimes we are asked the question of you know whose responsibility is it the brand is is it you know just marketing or is it sales or is it operations or is it the CEO? So. I uh, just want to ask your opinion, and unfortunately, we're almost out of time. This like, we could spend hours, and I love this, but um, might be one of our last questions. It's the board who controls the CEO, and you know, so it's the board and the CEO. At the end of the day, that's where the buck stops. Um, it, it's you know, yes, the chief marketing officer is responsible for executing tactics and strategies around the brand, but who owns the brand? It's the board and the CEO. They own it, and they need to make sure the organization is doing everything uh, in full uh, congruence and alignment with the brand promise, and make sure that you know the company and its employees act in ways that are fully supportive of the brand, so that the customers feel that what's being promised to them by the brand is being lived up to. And if that happens, then you accrue brand value, um, and when it doesn't happen, you lose brand value. Well, Fred, I literally have a half dozen other questions to ask you, but um, we're, we're almost out of time. Any final thoughts or insights you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I, I, I think 
the key thing is you know, two, two key points. One is personal interactions with brands are more and more important today. Um, before, you were a little bit disintermediated from a brand other than the product experience that you had, a product or service experience. But today, um, you know, with the media and all that, you interact with a brand on all sorts of levels. And um, that personal interaction that a brand has with its consumers and its investors is critical. Um, the other thing is not in, not all industries and markets move at the same pace. And so, um, you know, where a consumer product in the technology industry might have a life of nine months, you know, look at cell phone upgrade cycles as an example. In the industrial markets, you know, a, a factory machine might have a useful life of 30 years. And so uh, the opportunities you have to interact with your customers in the marketplace to build, enhance, and 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 refine your brand are really driven by the opportunities you have to interact with your customers. And um, if it's kind of, I buy it and then I forget about it for a lot of years, then that's a lot harder than if you're constantly in the marketplace looking at something. Perfect. Well, Fred, thank you for being a guest and expert opinion. Uh, I really appreciate your insights. Uh, I know our listeners will as well. And uh, that unfortunately concludes our show for today. Wish we had more time. This is Ryan Rikas, and you've been listening to another edition of Expert Opinion, a branding business forum where thought leaders share their point of view. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. And until our next show, grow your business by living your brand promise.